doing today, we're going to be continuing with Kaddish, right? Well, exactly what Kaddish is right before the, because that's what we're up to in, in the prayers. We're right up to Kaddish, which is going to be on page. Let's see what page it's on. On page, page 82, okay? So this is the, the first Kaddish that is actually somewhat more mandated. There are other Kaddishin. There are other times in which we say Kaddish throughout the prayer service. So some of them are more mandated and some of them have become custom. So the, there are five different types of Kaddish. And this is what, what Cheryl's part of what Cheryl's question is, is that what are the different types of Kaddish? You know, sometimes you say this Kaddish, sometimes the mourners do say it, sometimes the mourners don't say it. What exactly is the deal with that? What's the difference between the different types? So what we have is the standard Kaddish is called the Chatzi Kaddish, which means literally half Kaddish. Interestingly enough, this is actually the original Kaddish, and this was the, the totality of the original Kaddish, right, as was originally formulated by the Anche Knesset Hagadolah, the men of the Great Assembly, about 2,400 years ago. Later on, there are other things that were added during the age of the Geonim, the Geonim who lived over a thousand years ago in primarily in what we call Bavel, which is like Iraq, Iran. So the Geonim, they added some additions, and now we have these five different types of Kaddish four of which we say in the Beit, Beit Knesset. In other words, four of which have become part of the daily liturgy. The fifth Kaddish is a special Kaddish that we only say after a funeral, right? If you're at a funeral, the Kaddish that they say at the end after the, after the burial is finished, right? There's a special Kaddish. That special Kaddish is said at one other occasion, and that occasion is when people make a siyum misachta which means when people finish a tractate or an order of the, of the Torah, right? They finish, you know, a tractate of, of Talmud or one of the orders of Mishnah, or sometimes people will even make a siyum if they felt like they've done a really good job and, and read through the entire Tanakh, read through all of the Torah, Nevi'im, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, okay? Now, what's interesting is that we'll discuss exactly why this Kaddish, there's something in common between burying the dead and the finishing of a masechta, which at first glance, one is obviously a joyous occasion, one is obviously a mournful occasion. What, what's the, the unifying factor there, okay? But before we do that, let's go through the other four types of Kaddish, right? So we have the Chatzi Kaddish, the standard Kaddish. That is in between different parts of the tefillah, in between different parts of the prayer when we wanna signify the end of a unit, and we're now going to start a new unit, we say the Chatzi Kaddish. So the first place that we are signifying the end of a unit in which there would be part of a seaboard, part of a uh, community, uh, congregation gathered and praying together, would be when we finish Psuke de Zimra, and we begin the blessings of the Shema. So before we do that, we want to signify Psuke de Zimra, that initial introductory prayer part of the service, that is now over. And we're now going to segue into the blessings of the Shema. We therefore say the Chatzi Kaddish. Okay? Now we have other additions. The other additions are the Tiskabel, right? Or Titkabel. So if you turn, if you guys have the art scroll Sidor in front of you, if you turn to page 156, okay? And 156 is actually after... After we pray the morning Shemona Esrei, we then say a prayer called Tachanun, which we will get up to. 
And we then read what is called the ashray for the third, for the second time of the day, we read ashray. After we finish those two prayers that are connected to the Shimona Esrei, to the 18 blessing prayer, we then say what is called Kaddish Shalem, full Kaddish, right? So this implies that it has more than just the Chatzit Kaddish. Typically, we say the full Kaddish when we have finished the Shimona Esrei. So the Shimona Esrei warrants a greater Kaddish, right? When we finish the unit which is connected to the Shimona Esrei, we say this greater Kaddish. So there are sometimes things that we say right before that, but it's all part of the connection to the, to the Shemona Esrei. We then say this greater Kaddish. When we say this greater Kaddish, we will see that there are some additional parts placed there. So if you guys, I don't know if you have your fingers in both places. I have my finger right now on page 82 and also on page 156. If you do not, then I will explain where exactly page 156 is adding on to the regular Kaddish. So if we're just going to read it inside. What we say is, may his great name grow exalted and sanctified. And over here, there's a pause for the congregation to answer. Amen. Amen, parenthetically, stands for, anybody know what it stands for? It does not stand for a man, as opposed to a woman. It stands for El Melech Ne'eman, right? Which means God, who is the king, who is trustworthy. It is an affirmation that all of these words that are said, I too agree to these words, and that God stands behind these words. In the world that he created as he willed, may his great name grow exalted, right? May he give reign to his kingship in your lifetimes and in your days, and in the lifetimes of the entire family of Israel, swiftly and soon, now respond, amen, right? So the shliach tzibar, the individual who's standing at the front of the synagogue and leading the prayer service, he now urges the rest of us to respond, amen. And we do, we indeed respond, amen, with a very powerful addition. May his great name be blessed forever and ever. We will see that this statement right here is one of the most powerful statements that we can make. The Talmud ascribes tremendous powers to saying this statement properly. And hopefully at the end of today, we will all understand that. And now we will be saying it with the proper concentration that will imbue it with those powers. The, the prayer leader then responds, may his great name be blessed forever and ever. Blessed, praised, glorified, exalted, extolled, mighty, upraised and lauded be the name of the Holy One, blessed is he. To which the congregation once again responds, blessed is he. Then we say, beyond any blessing and song, praise and consolation that are uttered in the world, now respond, amen. Now that is the extent of the original Kadesh as it was formulated by the sages. 2,400 years ago. And that is the one that we would be saying right after different parts of the tefillah to break the different sections up. However, as I said, when it comes to the Shemona Esrei, after praying the Shemona Esrei, we actually have a different Kadesh, which is called the full Kadesh. So if you're still on page 157, it starts off exactly the same. And it fin after, at the bottom of page 157, we got up to the same place, now respond Amen. But then we continue. And what we continue with is like this on page 159. May the prayers and supplications of the entire family of Israel be accepted before their father who is in heaven. Now respond, amen. I think now we understand why we say this right when we finish the Shemona Esrei. Because we just finished our main supplication on behalf of the entire Jewish people. And we're all praying together. And we're all praying for the entire house of Israel. When we get up to the Shemona Esrei, we will see 
all of the phrases and the requests and the supplications and the praises are all stated in the plural. This is on behalf of the entire Jewish people. So therefore it is appropriate at this time to say, God, may you accept the prayers and supplications. Alana, you had a question? Yes, um, I'm not quite clear. Did you mean uh, that, were you reading on page 82, Yishtabach, and then the, the Kaddish, and then you switched to 157? Is that what you were doing? Yes, yes, that's what I was doing. The reason why I was doing that is I, I started off by saying we want to go through the five different types of Kaddish. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah, so I, I looked at page 82, but really 157, the full Kaddish, really contains the entire Chatzik Kaddish just with the additions of this Titkabel plus another addition as well. So, so this one sec. So eight, on 82, after Yishtabach, then there's Shira Malot, then there's Kaddish. And is this a Chatzik Kaddish or a full Kaddish? This is a Chatzik Kaddish. After, after Shira Malot. Yeah, yeah, so you'll see right now why it's a Chatzik Kaddish because it, it ends very quickly. It ends with the statement of may um, now respond amen to the prayer that God's name should become blessed. And that's it, that's the end of it. But what we see is if you turn to page 157, it starts off exactly the same, but then it has the additional parts and this becomes the full Kaddish. As I said, it's a little bit of a misnomer, right? The sages would say that is the, the full Kaddish is what we call the Chatzik Kaddish because that was the original formulation. And they would call the one with the additional um, insertions, they would say, this is the one with the additional insertions, right? It's it just, when we think of it as chazi and full, we think of the first one as being, this is the half of the real one. And no, I don't know what you call real or not real, but the point is in terms of the original, that would be the chazi kaddish. The later one, which we, today we call the full, has the additional insertions. The additional insertions are comprised of two parts. David? Mm. You're on mute, Dave. Okay, why did this prayer um, assume such an important uh, position in our liturgy uh, so that it was expanded upon? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, we're gonna get that. We're, gonna, we're definitely gonna hit that. We're gonna hit why it's so important, you know, why, why it's so related and pivotal towards mourners, right? I don't know how many of you have read um, uh, that book, the, the book um, Kaddish by, um, I wanna say Leon, Leon wrote it, but I might be wrong. No, not Leon, who else? Someone else wrote it, right? Wiesenthal? I, I don't think he wrote it actually. I think he wrote a different book about the year of mourning for his father. There was someone else who wrote Kaddish. Not, not such a nice person actually, um, unfortunately. But, um, but the book was actually a pretty solid book when, when he talks about how, how transformative it was, him saying, him saying Kaddish throughout the year of mourning. Um, so, so we're going to discuss why it became... It's Nathan Englander. Nathan Englander. Yeah? Thank you. Okay. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else, but okay. So thanks. Okay. So, okay, so let's see what the additional insertions are. It says, may the prayers and supplications of the entire family of Israel be accepted before their father who is in heaven. Now respond, amen. So then we respond, amen. And then we say, blessed be the name of Hashem from this time and forever. And then we finish with, may there be abundant peace from heaven and life upon us and upon all Israel. Now respond, amen. And then we say a little bit more that um, my help is from Hashem, maker of heaven and earth. And then the prayer leader says, he who makes peace in his heights, may he make peace upon us and upon all Israel. Now respond, amen. 
Okay, so there are two additional supplications. When I say that, uh, insertions. The first insertion is may the prayers and supplications be accepted. The second one is this idea of the peace. So in the first Kaddish, what we call the Chatzik Kaddish, the only thing that we discuss is God being elevated in this world. That is the entire focus of that first Kaddish, right? The Chatzik Kaddish that we say in, on page 80 to 83, right after Yishtabach, or anytime we're transitioning from one part of the prayer service to another part. It's a very simple idea. It is a very unified idea talking about God's name being elevated. That is the only thing we discuss. In the full Kaddish, as we said, that primarily is said after a Shemona Esrei, right? What we are then focused on is more than just God's name being elevated, which is more of a um, esoteric, seemingly esoteric, seemingly amorphous kind of idea of God's name being elevated. And we're transitioning to saying God should answer our prayers and supplications. And then we say there should also be peace on earth from God, okay? We then have what is called the Kaddish Yasom, right? The Kaddish of the orphan, right? So if you look now on page, um, it does not have to be said by an orphan, by the way. Uh, traditionally, years and years ago, it actually seems like it was not even said by an orphan specifically. And it's only more recently that it started becoming, and more recently by that, I mean, um, you know, perhaps 1500 years ago. When we talk recently in Judaism, we, we don't always mean, um, you know, as recently as other people might mean. Kaddish Yasom, let's look at page 161. And we'll see it starts exactly the same. And then what it gets up to is, it says something more. After finishing now, respond, amen. We add the part of abundant peace and that there should be peace in the world. And he who makes peace in his heights, may he make peace upon us. So we add those additional, that additional phrase. We do not have the tit kabel part that God should accept the supplications, okay? So if we could break it down into Chatzik Kaddish is comprised of primarily one concept that God's name should be elevated. The Kaddish Shalem is comprised of three concepts. God's name should be elevated. Our prayers and supplications should be answered. And there should be peace in the world. Kaddish Yatom is describing the idea that there should be, God should be elevated and there should be peace in the world, right? Then we have one more Kaddish that is said in the prayer in, in, in terms of our liturgy of being in the synagogue. And this Kadesh is, is called the Kadesh de Rabbanan, right? If you turn now, and we'll see why it's called that. If you turn now, I, um, I, I know for sure it's over here. I can't think of, oh, page 52. Okay, let's turn to page 52. So on page 52, we will see the Kadesh is mostly the same with one other addition. So we read, it starts off exactly the same again. And, you know, page 53, it starts off with uh, everything is the same. Now respond amen, which is the third line on page 55. So far, so good. Then we add a different, a different insertion before finishing with our now familiar prayer for peace. Upon Israel, upon the teachers, their disciples, and all of their disciples, and upon all those who engage in the study of Torah, who are here or anywhere else, may they and you have abundant peace, grace, kindness, and mercy, long life, ample nourishment, and salvation from before their father who is in heaven and on earth. Now respond, amen. May there be, a, right? And then we finish with, may there be abundant peace. So this is a fourth Kaddish. The reason why it is called the Kaddish de Rabbanan, which literally means the Kaddish of the rabbis, right? Comes from the idea that it expresses a prayer, a very strong prayer for peace, and sustenance for the rabbis. This is once again an insertion of 
perhaps a thousand years ago. This one is sometimes said, and typically the when, the when it is said is after reading a passage of the Talmud or after reading a passage from the Mishnah, and more specifically, something with, of what we call Agadita, which is the teachings of the rabbis that are not related to halacha, but perhaps the ethical, moral teachings of the rabbis. For example, when we learn Pirkei Avot, right, the ethics of the fathers, there's a custom to learn the Pirkei Avot in the summer months in between Mincha and Arvit, as the custom in Orthodox synagogues. So when we do that, we say this prayer, this Kaddish, that expresses a hope that the rabbis should be blessed. The connection is very simple. We are learning the Torah that the rabbis bequeathed to us. So it is appropriate now to recognize that they should be blessed and the people who are teaching us the Torah should be blessed. The custom is that if there is a mourner, they have the right to recite this one as well. Okay? So when does a mourner say Kaddish? Now you know the answer. A mourner says Kaddish if it is Kaddish Yatom or if it is Kaddish Dirabanan. If it is Kaddish Shalim, whoever the prayer leader is, he recites the Kaddish. If it is the Chatsi Kaddish, whoever the prayer leader is, he recites the Kaddish. Okay, so far so good? Okay, no, problem. What's the problem? And I can't hear Alana. My question is, why is it an Aramaic instead of Hebrew? Good question. We'll discuss that too, hopefully. But Alana, did you have a question? I mean, I'm I'm still a little befuddled about the order of things because you switched from uh, from 57 to the other place, and I kind of lost the track of right. what comes after what. Yeah. So let's go back over that again. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem at all. No. The reason why I, I switched is I'm following Rav Schwab's order, and he's working with the Kadesh that is the originally mandated Kadesh, which is the first time that Kadesh comes up in terms of being mandated. That would be after the end of Suke de Zimra. Whereas the earlier Kadesh, which we do have the custom today to say, is a Kadesh that is a, a, of a later origin to be put at that time period. And it is based on the fact that right prior to that, immediately prior on page, uh, you know, between page like 30 and 50, what we are reading is we are reading about the service in the temple on a daily basis. And because we are reading about the service in the temple on a daily basis, which is all based on the oral Torah expressing itself in the Mishnah and the Talmud, so right after that, we say what is called the Kadesh de Rabbanan, the Rabbinic Kadesh, or the, I shouldn't say the Rabbinic Kadesh, the Kadesh for the rabbis, right? Just to be clear, Kadesh means to make holy, right? Sanctification, right? Just, just to make sure that everyone's, we're, we're on the same page about that. So that's, that's where the phrase comes from, okay? So like this, the, on a, from the original sources, it, it would just have been Chatzai Kadesh. And the Chatzai Kadesh would have consisted of, as we read on page 82, right? Like I said, it is all about asking that God's name should become elevated in this world. God should be blessed in this world. That is the standard Kadesh that is said anytime we are separating between different parts of prayer. However, that's just generic prayer separation. After the Shemona Esrei, the 18 blessing prayer, we add two insertions. One, that our blessings that we just, our prayers and our requests that we just made should be accepted by God. And the second insertion is that there should be peace on earth. That's what we call Kadesh Shalem. The Chatzik Kadesh and the Kadesh Shalem do not need to be said by a mourner. 
In fact, they are not said by a mourner. Now, if the mourner happens to be davening, praying for as a leader, then he would say these Kadesh. But we don't wait for someone else to say this Kadesh if he is not leading at the, at the, you know, at the Amud, at the lectern. Now, the Kadesh de Rabbanan, right, which, as I said, is said after we learn over a passage from the sages and also has two additional insertions. One insertion is the same as any time we have insertions, we always end with a prayer for peace. And the other insertion is the prayer on behalf of the rabbis. That one is also said by our mourner, but if there's no mourner, then anybody will say that one, right? The, I'm sorry, not anybody, but the prayer leader will say that one. Now, when we talk about, this is parenthetically before I forget, when we talk about the Kadesh that is said by our mourner, there are actually some Kadesh that will only be said if there is a mourner in the room. By mourner, I don't mean someone during Shiva. I mean someone during the 11 months after their parent, sometimes sibling, if there is no one else to say Kadesh for them after they have passed away. Those types of Kadesh, if there is no mourner in the room, if there is someone in the room who has lost one of his parents, then he also would say Kadesh. But if there's nobody in the room who lost a parent, there would be no Kadesh at all recited at that time. As opposed to the other three Kadeshin that are said no matter what. The question is, who do we give precedent in terms of saying it, right? That we give precedent to a mourner, assuming that it's one of those three, but not. I really should have made a chart. This I'm realizing now. So, right? So let's do what, let's say what, one last time, and hopefully that will be enough. So the four types of Kaddish that we need to focus on, because the other two are really an outlier. The other, the, the one about a funeral and the one about a, a siyum, that's in its own category. That's not necessarily connected to prayer, as we saw. So the four types are the Chatsi Kaddish, which is said by the prayer leader always. It is just about asking that God's name should be elevated in this world. Okay? And that separates between different parts of prayer, assuming one of two conditions are not met. So anytime it's separating between different parts of prayer and not immediately after learning from the oral Torah, you say a chatzik kadesh as long as it is not after the Shemona Esrei. So if it is after the Shemona Esrei, it becomes a kadesh shalem, a full kadesh. If it is after the oral Torah learning, then it becomes a kadesh de Rabbanan, a kadesh that also adds on the laws or the, sorry, the prayer regarding the rabbis. And then we have the fourth type of Kadesh, which is called Kadesh Yasom, the Kadesh that the mourners would traditionally say. Those are the four types of Kadesh. And those go at typically at the end of the, at, there's one at the beginning of the, of the davening, one at the end of the davening. In terms of those four Kadesh, two of them can be said by a mourner, right? In other words, even when they're not leading the prayer service, and that would be the Kadesh for the rabbis and the Kadesh at the end of the prayer service, right? Two of them are not said by anybody other than the prayer leader. Now, here's where the Venn diagram gets a little more complicated. There is one Kadesh that is not said by the prayer leader, no matter what, and is only said if there is a mourner in synagogue, which is the Kadesh Yasom. So although the Kadesh de Rabbanan, the Kadesh that includes a prayer for the success and well-being of the rabbis, can be recited by a Yasom, someone who is a mourner, or someone who is no longer has a parent, one of their parents might not be alive, even if they passed away many years ago. That one can be recited by the prayer leader as well. It does not have to be recited by a mourner. Okay? Um, if anybody is working on a chart and wants to post it on the screen, that, that would be great. That would be helpful. Um, 
So, so that that's the that's the basic idea. Yeah. Okay. So let's deal with some of the questions that people are asking. Why Aramaic? Why is Kaddish so important? Why is there this association with the dead? Right. What 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 is what is all what are all of these points? What does this have to do with anything? Um, so I think I want to point out one thing regarding the the connection between the Kaddish that one says after finishing a learning of the Torah, like a making a siyum. Siyum literally means the finishing of, right? That Kaddish, what's the connection? Why like that Kaddish is connected to the Kaddish after a funeral. So the prayer that we say in that Kaddish is related to the fact that we want God to, it's a request for God to create a revival. Again, it's a request for God to renew the world and to take the people who have passed and bring them back to the world in the merit of the Torah learning and the merit of our prayers. It makes sense that we would be making this request at the end of a funeral because we are trying to stay connected as we have just placed their physical body in the ground, the earth. Now we are saying we make a request that that physical body should be resurrected shortly. That makes sense. But why after a Torah learning? What's the connection over there? So it could be that we're just trying to say that at a time of great merit, when you have finished a specific known quantity of the Torah, you want to invoke that merit as a prayer that God should rebuild his temple, that God should rebuild his place, which we'll get into exactly what that, what that, um, what the words are of that Kadesh, um, hopefully a little bit later. So, but it makes sense perhaps, but I think maybe also you could say something else. When you finish a, a Masechta, a, Torah learning attractate. Traditionally, there's a phrase that we use, right? The phrase that we use is Hadran Allah, which means Aramaic, I shall return unto you. So when we finish a book, we don't say we finish this book, close it, put it away, don't need to open it again. We say, I finished you, I will return unto you and study you again, right? It's a way of recognizing that in, there's a famous um, children's song. Um, it's a play on... Um, um, this is the song that never ends, right? You guys remember that one? So the, the children's song goes, learning Torah never ends. It just goes on and on, my friend, right? Some people started learning Torah many years ago and will continue learning Torah because Hashem, he loves us so, and, you know, and so on and so forth. So when we finish learning a tract that we don't close it and put it away, we say, put it away, we will return to you. So I think we're probably also trying to express like this. The same way when we finish a tract that we say we'll return onto you and it is in our in our bounds is in our ability to create that returning, right? Because it's up to us to determine that. It's just as easy and just as real for God to resurrect the dead. So it's a way for us to remain connected and to keep it real that this is really actually a reality that will happen hopefully soon, right? That's in terms of the, those two Kaddish. And let's put that aside for a moment now. Now, originally Kaddish was said in Hebrew. In the Talmud in Brachot, Right, and actually makes it clear that the main part of Kaddish was said in Hebrew. And at some point it switched into Aramaic, but it's not actually all Aramaic. It's part of Kaddish is in Hebrew, part of Kaddish is in Aramaic, right? It's a little funny. Rev Schwab points out, you know, we have, uh, you know, if you guys heard of Ebonics, right? Ebonics is the, is the, the dialect that African-Americans speak English in, right? Well, we have something else. People will call it often English, right? Because it's a, it's a conjunction of Yiddish, and English, right? There are people who speak, um, there are lots of phrases in English that people use that the syntax is and only a Yiddish speaker would understand what you're even trying to say, right? You say, um, right? Which means, 
in Yiddish, which means from where do you come, right? <laughs> but if you say to somebody in English, from where do you come? Like, what, what are you talking about? It's not English, right? You'd say, where do you come from, right? Not from where do you come? But in Yiddish, the syntax and the, the, uh, the layout is just a little bit different. So that's one thing that ends up happening, let's say from Yiddish to English. But also we have words in English that are Yiddish and many of them have actually seeped into American society, right? And obviously chutzpah famously, right? Uh, but there's many, many in New York, obviously they're used far more often and are part of, you know, popular, you know, schlamazel is a word that you can expect from an Italian, from, from a black person in New York, right? I don't think people over here probably know that one, but there are phrases that we know. Shmir, they think comes from Yiddish, right? Now, Shmir is definitely part of, of English at this point, but there's many, many, many phrases that, that the Orthodox Jews use and that they're mixed in together. They're sprinkled in these other words that they're Yiddish, some of them might be Hebrew, some of them might be, who knows where they're from, but there are words that we use. That is a way to make it easy for everyone to understand. If you want everyone to be engaged and to be part of this process, it needs to be in the vernacular. So what he wants to suggest, or Shrab wants to suggest, due to the great impact of Kaddish, as we will see shortly, just how powerful Kaddish is and just how important it is for the upkeeping of the world. Therefore, the sages, wanted it to be in a way in which the world would be able to recite. And therefore they said, let's do it, switch it into Kadesh. Now, one could, into Aramaic, one could ask the question, okay, fine, that worked for 1800 years ago, but today most Jews do not speak Aramaic. There's maybe a couple of Jews left in the world who speak Aramaic in their daily living. Why don't we switch it to English? Well, the answer is that we tend not to tamper with the setup of how the sages set up the prayer service, okay? So there are certain things that we are permitted to say in other languages. There are, there are. There, Shema, if you cannot, if Shema does not work for you in Hebrew, you fulfill your mitzvah by reciting it in English, right? If you cannot recite the Shemona Esrei in, in, in Hebrew, you recite it in English, right? But there are certain things that cannot be changed. And this is one of them. Um, so, okay, good. So that's, that's uh, in terms of why we say it in, um, in Aramaic and not in Hebrew. Now, the, the question is, what's the, why is Kaddish associated with the dead? What, what's the connection at all? There is a famous story that is brought down in many different places in our oral tradition. The story, according to most versions, happens with Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, the famous Tana, right? Who was, you know, eponymous. He was all over, the, all over the Talmud. And his students are the, his student, um, Rabbi Meir, one of his five remaining students after his first 24,000 students died, ends up being the primary Rebbe, the primary teacher of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, who ends up redacting the Mishnah, okay? So the Mishnah that we have today is from a student of a student of Rabbi Akiva. Story goes to Rabbi Akiva. He was one time walking in a cemetery and he sees an elderly person looking very, very black, not wearing any clothing. And he has like this big pile of wood on his back and he's hunched over and he's running, running, running. And Rekiva says, what is your rush? What's going on over here? So his response is that I am not in this world and my masters are not from this world. My masters are basically, he's in hell and he's in terrible, terrible pain from everything that he has done. Rekiva says, is there any hope for you? What can you possibly do to get out of this terrible punishment? And he says, I was a very evil person when I was in this world. And therefore, I am, I'm going to be punished for a very long time. So Rekiva says, what can we do? He says, the only thing, hope for me is when I passed away, my wife was pregnant with a son. And that son, if he would only 
say the Kaddish for me, they would tear up my decree and they would say my punishment is, that's it, it's finished. However, everybody hated me because I was an awful person. I was a tax collector and I was a terrible person. And therefore no one's going to teach my son how to say Kaddish. Story goes, Amikiva travels to this town. He says, well, anybody remember this fellow Ukva? And everybody says Ukva and they spit on the ground and say, may his memory be forgotten, right? Because that's, that's a phrase that we use about wicked people. Shem Rishayim Yirkav, the name of the, of the wicked shall become rotten. They should go away. So he says, what about his wife? And everybody says, his wife, also evil. What about his son? His son, nobody touches him. So Rebekiva goes over to the son and he basically says, I would like to teach you Torah. And the son says, get out of here. I have no interest in Torah. So Rebekiva says, basically prays to God and the son ends up learning how to pray. And then the son ends up saying Kaddish. And the father basically tells Rebekiva in this dream, you have, you know, you've, uh, you've lessened my punishment. So based on this, which is brought down in the Zohar, it's brought down in Midrash, it's brought down all over the place, this story. When the child says Kaddish, it is able to achieve a level of atonement. So the custom has become for many, many years already, probably almost 2000 years at this point, that children will say Kaddish for their parents. Now, although it is possible that the halacha is that nobody, even the super wicked, remains in hell, if you're a Jewish, for more than 12 months. Okay, So the 12 months after someone dies, we are considered to be in mourning. However, during the first 11 months, the custom is to say Kaddish. The 12th month, the custom is not to say Kaddish anymore. Why? Because the, the Gemara tells us, the tradition assures us, that only someone who is completely wicked remains in hell for 12 months. Your average person, the maximum that they remain in hell for is 11 months. So therefore, to say Kaddish for 12 months for a parent, that would be saying my parent is very wicked. So we, the customers, we only say Kaddish for those 11 months. Now, how is it that my saying Kaddish or somebody saying Kaddish in this world can atone for their father or mother is no longer in this world? The concept is like this. We, the Gemara teaches again and again, the children are an extension of their parents. When children who are keeping their parents' name alive, when they say the Kaddish, what they are able to do, and through saying this Kaddish, they are able, as an extension of their parent, to bring the merit to their parent as if the parent themselves was saying this Kaddish, which is a terribly pow powerful, powerful blessing, powerful prayer. We are asking that God's name should be blessed throughout all the four worlds of existence. We are encouraging and the impetus for the entire congregation to give this very powerful prayer. So that is now accrued and put on the asset sheet of the dead. And therefore that can help raise them up. Um, just, <laughs> I just, someone sent me a video this morning, my, my cousin who I'm, I'm very close with, first cousin, we were in uh, elementary school together. And he sent me a video from first grade. Um, someone sent him a video from first grade. It was like some sort of a, we were doing Hebrew conjugation and he was like testing, the Rebbe was testing all of us. And, um, and he calls, I, I, I couldn't even, I, I was looking at this video with my kids. They're like, where are you? I was like, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't recognize myself in this video. But then the camera pans to Avram Yeshaya. Avram Yeshaya is my cousin. The rabbi said, the rabbi of the school said, Avram Yeshaya answered this question. The camera panned to him and, and it was like uncanny. He looks, his son, he has a six-year-old son, looks exactly like him. It could literally be his six-year-old son, right? This is not a new idea, but just I happen to see I saw it this morning. 
So then the idea that children are the extension of their parents, we, we see it in a very physical way, but it is also true in a, in a spiritual sense that they are the extension, they are the, the children of them. And therefore the impact, the influence that they had, which causes them to do good deeds can have an impact on the, on the person who's no longer here. So let's look now at our source sheet. Let me see, let me grab it. Uh, copy, and then we're going to look at some of these sources, some some powerful ideas about why it is that Kaddish is so important and so crucial. Talmud in Sota 49a, the Mishnah states that Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says in the name of Rabbi Yeshua, from the day that the temple was destroyed, there is no day that does not include some form of curse. Rabbi says each and every day is more cursed than the previous one as it is stated in the chapter detailing the curses in the book of Deuteronomy. In the morning, you will say, would that it were evening? And in the evening, you will say, would that it were morning? It is unclear which morning the verse means. This is in the curses, in the, the rebukes in Deuteronomy. If we say that in the evening, he will wish it would be the following morning, does he know what will be the outcome of the next morning, which would cause him to yearn for its arrival? Rather, it must mean the morning that has passed. That is, in the evening, they will pine for the previous morning because their situation is continuously worsening. This is a terribly frightening vision and a vision which sometimes seems to be coming true. That's what happens since the temple has been destroyed. The Gemara poses a question. But if everything is deteriorating, why does the world continue to exist? At some point, it should just deteriorate into nothingness. What's stopping that from happening? The Gemara answers, by the sanctification that is said in the order of the prayers. After the passage that begins, and a redeemer shall come to Israel. This is in, we'll get up to there one day. This is after the Shimona Esrei. We say something called, Uva Litzion Goel, right? And the redeemer shall come to Israel. And over there, we have a very powerful recitation of the prayers that the, the angels say up on high. That is part of what keeps the world sustained. And the other thing that keeps the world sustained, and by the response, let his great name be blessed. Amen. This is the most critical part of the Kadesh. This idea right here of Yehei Shmei Rabbah. His great name should be blessed. Okay? So what the Talmud is telling us is just how powerful Yehei Shmei Rabbah is that it is able to keep the world sustained. So this is what the Talmud is assuring us. The question was, what could keep the world going? It's these two statements right here. So what we see is, from here, the power of Amin Yeheshmi Rabbah. Amin Yeheshmi Rabbah, may his great name be blessed, right? It is true, may his great name be blessed. That is the most powerful, the strongest part of the Kadesh. Let's continue with source number two, which says something even stranger. Now, stranger, maybe is not the right word, but taking us just how far the idea of the Kadesh will, will take us. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said that anyone who answers Amin, may his great name be blessed, wholeheartedly, with all his might, the word in Hebrew is Bechol kocho, right? Koach means strength. Kocho means his strength. They rip up his sentence, as it is stated. When punishments are annulled in Israel, when the people offer themselves, bless the Lord. What is the reason for when punishments are annulled? Because the Jewish people blessed God. When one recites Amen, may his great name be, recite, be blessed and blesses God, his punishment is annulled. So what the Talmud is telling us is that when we see this phrase with all of our strength, right, that will actually accomplish the ripping up and the tearing up of our decrees, the tearing up of our potential punishments right here gets ripped up. The idea 
that we say this, when we say this, this can accomplish such a powerful thing. It, the Talmud tells us, Bechol kocho, with all of your strength. What does Bechol kocho mean? So the simple understanding means shout it out there, right? You know, it should be like a lehavdil, right? To separate like a, a gospel, uh, you know, what do they call it? Uh, they, um, they call it something, right? Where everybody's like screaming at the top of their lungs, right? So it would seem that the idea is to say it really loudly. Rashi, the famous commentator, the preeminent commentator on the Talmud, says that is not what it means. It doesn't mean to be screaming. That's not what it means. It means with all of your might, your spiritual and mental might. It means you should be focused on the words. Don't just shout out the words without thinking about what it means. Think deeply about what you are saying. You're saying that you want God's great name to be blessed. Right? And that, if you say it with the proper intent, it can be incredibly effective at achieving the annulment of the punishments. The, let's see over here. Let's, we're going to skip this. So the, the phrase that the Gemara was quoting is like this. The phrase that the Gemara was quoting is a story when Devorah and Barak, it's a story in Judges during that time period in Shoftim, during the time period when the Jewish people were, did not have a king yet. And the story goes like this. Devorah and Barak are fighting against um, Yavin. Yavin had brought a, a I think it was 800 chariots, 800 or 900 iron chariots. I don't remember the exact number. These iron chariots are basically like the equivalent of like Merkava tanks, right? In terms of disproportionate force, right? And the Jewish people are faced with this, uh, you know, terrible, terrible danger. And Deborah at that point is the judge and the leader of the Jewish people. And she gathers together volunteers. She gathers together 10,000 volunteers. And these 10,000 volunteers go to fight and miraculously they are victorious even though they have no, nothing close to the amount of armaments that the, um, that, the, that the enemy has. So the phrase goes like this, when things are out of control in Israel and then the people dedicate themselves, then bless the Lord, which means Rashi explains, this is Rashi on the Talmudic passage that is quoting this phrase in Shoftim, in Judges. When the people of the nation voluntarily dedicate themselves with all their strength to bless their maker, then the punishments against Israel become nullified. So essentially, Rashi is basically cutting up this verse and chopping it into different layers and explaining what the verse is saying. When the people of Israel dedicate themselves voluntarily with all their heart and with all their soul to bless God, then the things that were out of control will become nullified. So what the Talmud is telling us is a recognition from this phrase. These people are ready to risk their lives to save the Jewish people. And we have over here, as we skip to verse 18, after the, they, are, they are victorious, they have the famous, what we call Shirat Devorah, the song of Devorah. And in this song, she states in verse 18, Zvulun is a people that risked its life to the death, as did Naphtali on the heights of the battlefield. So Rav Schwab wants to say like this, when people are willing to dedicate their entire life to save the Jewish people, right? And this, this parallel to this is, is, is pretty clear today, right? When people are ready to risk their lives to save the Jewish people and to protect the Jewish people, there is an incredible sanctification of God's name, right? That they're willing to do this for the sake of God, that they're willing to do this for the sake of the Jewish people. And through that, the punishments against Israel actually can become nullified, right? So essentially what we're saying is, is like this. What's the connection between Amen Yehi Shmei Rabbah and people willing to dedicate their lives to saving the Jewish people? 
It doesn't seem like the equivalent at first glance, right? One of them seems to make a lot of sense. You're willing to dedicate your life? Well, of course, that's something that deserves great reward. Of course, that's something that when God sees that happening, he rewards us accordingly. But you're willing to say the words, Amen, with all of your energy and with all of your involvement and concentration, that's really going to achieve the same result? It doesn't seem to make sense at first glance. So Rav Schwab wants to explain like this. The statement of may God's name be made great. What you're really saying, the Chol with all of your energy, what you're really saying is, translation, is a verbal, a verbal affirmation of my willingness to actually make God's name great. With all of my energy, with all, everything that I have in my, in my soul, every ounce of power that I have, I'm willing to make God's name great. Thank God we don't, we're not all faced at all times with situations where we have to actually willing to risk our lives. But we are making a declaration that we would be willing to do that, even that if it was necessary to make God's name great. So it actually has the same impact as if we would take the action. The Torah tells us that God looks at a mitzvah thought, a mitzvah resolution to do a mitzvah, as if we have actually done the mitzvah. And I think this is an example of that. When we are sitting in synagogue and the prayer leader shouts out, right, in the, in the sing song, right, we, he is saying, I now come forward and bless God with all of your might. Essentially what he's saying is, the entire congregation, I want to hear you shout it and shout it out loud, right, that you're willing to risk your life to give up everything for God. When we do that as a community, come together and verbally affirm our willingness to do so then Hashem rips up the decree. The power of having the prayer leader do this or having the, when it comes to the Kaddish Yasom, to do this, this is a tremendous merit for someone who has passed away. And that's why Kaddish is such a powerful thing. It is a time when people should be quiet. It is not a time when there should be whispering going on, right? It is a time we should be very focused. It's a very short prayer. Literally this past week, I went over to some, I, I, I almost never go over to people in synagogue and correct them. I, I don't think it's the best move to do. I don't think it makes people feel good. But there was someone who, who was talking in the middle of Kaddish and um, I, I have a relationship with him and I went over to him after prayers and I said, you know, Kaddish is a very, very powerful thing. And if you're talking during it, it's not just that you're just talking and missing something, you're missing out on something that is such a powerful affirmation. Essentially, you're saying, I'm not part of the group affirming that this is what should happen. That's a scary thing to do. You do not want to take yourself out of that group when it is so powerful and say, I don't need to be part of that. That's not the best way to, uh, to act, to respond to this, uh, to this occasion. So Kaddish is a very powerful thing. We need to think of it as that. We need to recognize that. And if we take that into, into our daily behavior, then we intuit it, then it will have the impact that was desired. It will have the impact that Hashem wants it to have, that it'll be able to rip up and tear up the decrees. I want to just finish with one point that someone had asked, Cheryl had asked, why is it that some people sit and some people stand during Kaddish? Okay. So it's like this. The Ashkenazi custom, right? The Jews from Lithuania, the Jews from Poland, the Jews from Germany, Jews from England, France, right? They have the halacha that we are supposed to stand during Kaddish. Okay. Sephardic Jews do not have that halacha. Right? They have that lacha, you're allowed to sit during Kaddish. Okay? So, therefore, Ashkenazi Jews will always stand for Kaddish. There is a question if you have a Sephardic Jew 
davening, praying in a synagogue that is Ashkenaz, does he have to stand? Most people say he does, because since the custom in that show is that you have to stand, if you are in that show, you cannot be poresh min hatzibar, you cannot remove yourself from the community by sitting. However, an Ashkenazi Jew in a Sephardic synagogue is still allowed to stand. The reason being like this, Sephardim don't say you should sit during Kaddish. They say you are allowed to sit during Kaddish. If someone chooses to stand, you're not removing yourself from the halachic conclusion. You just happen to be standing. That's not an indication that you disagree with their halacha. Their halacha never said you cannot stand. It said you're allowed to sit. Okay, allowed to sit doesn't mean you have to sit. In an Ashkenazi synagogue, you have to stand. So if someone would be sitting, it would be removing themselves from the congregation. The prayer leader, however, always has to stand. Okay, that's clear. That's not going to change. No matter what synagogue you're in, the prayer leader is going to be standing. Okay, we're going to stop over here.